Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Nellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is Nine to Thrive HR, your source for education, expertise, and knowledge on all things talent. If you just can't get enough of this kind of thing, check out hci.org for more amazing free content like this. And if you want to make a real investment in your personal development this year, be sure to learn about our highly interactive virtual conference schedule at hci.org forward slash conferences. This episode of Nine to Thrive is brought to you by the Marcus Buckingham Company, an ADP company. Learn more about them at tmbc.com. And now we're going to talk about engagement in a three-part series. So... If we all agree employee engagement matters, why do we find it so hard to measure and move? Join practitioner-turned-strategist Amy Leschke-Carl each Monday morning with us for the next three weeks as she peels back the layers on how to get engagement with last. Each episode contains powerful insights and examples to help you identify ways to create visibility, connection, and extraordinary performance in the new world of work. So with that, I am pleased to introduce my guest for the next three weeks. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning. Hi, Alan. Good to talk with you again. Yes, yes. I enjoyed our conversation last time, and I'm glad we get to do a, uh, a triple shot, I guess, uh, over the next couple of weeks. So before we get into the topic of today, I do want you to tell me, uh, remind me and our audience a little bit about your background and why you made the leap from corporate life to sitting on the other side of the table. Yeah, thanks for that question. You know, it's something that I never imagined I would be doing as a practitioner, as an HR practitioner for a couple decades in the world of work, working for global organizations in manufacturing and technology and in retail. And I, like a lot of practitioners, really got into the world of HR to help make the world of work better. And what I kept finding was I kept running into these almost walls where I would try things, the same old thing, the same old thing, all those things I thought I was supposed to do. And I didn't make a whole lot of progress, unfortunately. And it wasn't for lack of trying and it wasn't for lack of investment. And when the opportunity came around to go join the Marcus Buckingham Company, now an ADP company, to really take some progressive approaches and lean into some really good research that's been around for a long time and turn that research and my experience into insights and actions for organizations that are really helping make the world of work better. And it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up, and it was the best move that I've ever made. Fantastic. Well, we're glad that it led you to here, and that's great background and very helpful, I think. So to get closer to our topic today... It seems like everybody's talking about the future of work, but I've heard you say you don't really care for that term. Why is that? What's wrong with that nomenclature for for what we're experiencing and what we're trying to work towards? Well, I I think it's an interesting term and it's an interesting thing to banter and ponder. But in the real world of work, like the future's always out ahead of us. And most of us, particularly in this time of global disruption, I mean, we're all going through something that we've never experienced before. None of us have a crystal ball. We, if you think back to 14 or 15 months ago, and we set our goals at the beginning of 2020, we had all these great, wonderful ideas of what was going to happen. And clearly, most of those things, if not all of them, did not happen. And so when we talk about the future of work, it's great to ponder that. And I love to do that as well, by the way. But the question on the table for us as practitioners and those who serve the world of work is what can we do right now to not only help our employees with the things that are happening now, but also to prepare them for whatever that future is going to hold, which we have no idea what it is. So that's why 
I'm not in love with the term future of work as we're talking about practical real world things. I love it as a think about, but not so much as a do about. So yeah, I think you're definitely right. There's always a danger when one sets out to predict the future that there's so many factors that go into what happens tomorrow, next week, next year, that, you know, while there is some consistency and we can make some predictions about some things, but the further out you go, the more likely you are to run into something that's really unexpected. You know, we live in a big interconnected planet. There's always going to be some butterfly that flaps its wings on the other side of the world that uh, starts a hurricane wherever we are. So, uh, but that is a great lead into what's happening in the now of work and what's going on with everybody. So I do want to think on this. HR practitioners have to be a lot of them focused on return to work process and policies. And what does somebody do to get into an office building? Now, is there a temperature check? Do you have a vaccine passport? Do you, you know, do you have to get a negative COVID test every week or all of these kinds of operational concerns around how we make it safe for everybody to come back to work and what form that takes. Is this the right focus for HR to be taking? I think it's one of the right focus areas for HR to be taking. And of course, HR and especially HR leaders and CHROs are hyper-focused on that right now, as they should be. And again, remember, this is uncharted territory. I was talking with um, a CHRO client of mine just the other day and I was asking him, I said, you know, what are you focused on? What keeps you up at night? What are you thinking about? What are you working on? What's top of mind? And this is a client who is very focused on employee engagement, by the way. But none of his answers were anything having to do with employee engagement. Because we are trying to figure out, we, the royal we as a practitioner community, how do we bring people back to work? Do we bring people back to work? What if we bring some people back and not all people and the ones who aren't there? Do they have the same policies and kind of rules of the road as the other ones don't? And how do we maintain a culture in this place of incredibly dynamic work? Like those are the things that are top of mind. And yet when you talk to them about how are you going to keep your workforce prepped and ready and proactive to be able to navigate through and not only navigate, but accelerate through the changes that are likely to keep coming. And hopefully they won't take the form of a global pandemic, but markets are going to shift. We're seeing this happen right now. I mean, it's happening all over. The form of work is changing. Products are changing. How we buy things are changing. How we interact with each other are changing. So it was really interesting when I posed that question to him. I said, so how are you going to help your employees be incredibly proactive and be ready for whatever comes their way? And I'll use the R word because that's a hot topic right now as well. How are you going to help your employees be incredibly resilient? Because we know changes are going to keep coming. And so he took a big, long pause and said, yep, we need to make sure that that is being part of those thoughts and, and how do we keep employees resilient? And how do we continue to keep our focus on the employee experience and, and especially from our world, employee engagement? in the midst of things that we don't know what's going to happen. And so as a, as a result of that conversation, they added a beautiful, I'm going to call it kind of a work stream lane to things that they are thinking about and really moved employee engagement up the priority list. So it's not just how do we bring people back to work and what are the policies and processes that go along with that? Absolutely. And how do we ensure that we are not losing sight of 
all of the other work that we need to be doing and focusing on to make sure that our employees are ready in the now and also being proactive to help them as those things come up that we're not even thinking about or can't even imagine what happened. So yes, HR practitioners are focusing on the right thing. And they also need to think about some things probably that they're not quite thinking about. And it's kind of the nature of employee engagement, actually. Yeah, I, I think that you brought up a lot of great points there that it's it's always easy to focus on the task that's in front of you that's really, you know, really gnawing at you and taking up a lot of your attention. And you can't avoid that task completely, but you also have to remember there's sort of things that you could be doing that will have a longer term or more strategic benefit to your company rather than just focusing on, okay, what's the process for somebody getting screened before they walk through the door of our offices or one of our plants or uh, wherever they're going. Good point taken there. And, you know, you're absolutely right, Alan. And the beautiful news for organizations, for team leaders, for practitioners is that that same action and activity, that same focus that helps us accelerate engagement is also some of the same activities that help us support resilience in our employees, that help keep employees connected no matter where they're sitting, that helps our organization of employees be more agile and respond to things more quickly. And it's the foundation, we kind of talked about it last time when we chatted as well, is that that Pareto's rule, if you will, of people performance and people differentiation at work is really, really simple. It's that 20% of our effort that gives us 80% of our impact. And that's really frequent attention from team leaders. And as we think, as we, us practitioners, think about engagement in the context of the real world, we often kind of limit ourselves to thinking about it as a measurement, as a target, and a target to be met. And what I encourage people to do is to really kind of turn that upside down. And engagement is a tool, and first and foremost, a tool for team leaders, but also a tool for us practitioners to be able to see into the, the landscape of the organization and how are our employees experiencing work, team by team by team. Aggregate's interesting, but engagement is a local construct. Engagement happens in teams. Work happens in teams. The most influential person in our work life is our team leader. So we need to think about it as a local measure that helps us understand what's happening in the organization, not as an aggregate target for an entire organization that we're trying to meet. Um, that becomes really something that's not all that helpful. It's interesting, but we all are having different and unique work experiences. And when you think about engagement as a local tool rather than a global metric, it kind of changes how we think about engagement. Yeah, and you mentioned something, a, a favorite concept of mine, the uh, Pareto distribution. Could you just give us a high-level explanation of what that is, just in case anybody's not familiar with the term? Yeah, you know, sometimes the thing about Pareto's is this very discrete thing, like that exactly 20% of our, our effort gives us 80% of our impact. But the best analogy that I know to explain it is actually you probably wear 20% of the clothes in your closet 80% of the time. From a business perspective, it's often kind of the analogy is 20% of your clients give you 80% of your revenue, and that's sometimes true. But I think the clothes in the closet one is one that everybody can relate to. I mean, especially right now, if you think about how many clothes that you have and how many of them have you not worn for 14 months, probably, probably a lot of those. <laughs> I had not had somebody uh, describe it in terms of the wardrobe, but I think you're exactly spot on, whereas... 
I even got criticized for this recently uh, from my fiance. She said, you wear about nine shirts. And I was like, yeah, I guess I kind of do. And, but I have probably 40. So yeah, that's, uh, thank you for clearing that up. That's a wonderful sidetrack for us to get onto. Um, so we, we talked about, uh, we're talking about the engagement principle and uh, making a conscious effort to always be investing in or focusing on engagement without losing sight of some of the stuff that's really concerning right in front of us. But how do organizations measure or know that the way that they're using engagement tools or engagement initiatives are having an effect or not? Yeah, I mean, certainly measurement, again, at a team level. But if we kind of flip upside down, again, our thoughts about engagement and where it happens and think about it as that local tool, there's a couple ways to know. Yes, measuring in the aggregate, but also looking at how many of your teams are making improvement at a team level. That's a great way to do it. I would also say don't use engagement as a rack and stack tool. In my days when I was in the corporate world as a practitioner, that's what we used engagement results for. We would stack, rank team leaders top best to worst. And if you were on that bottom of the pile, that was not a great place to be. And we know in the real world that things happen. There's external factors that influence engagement. One of the most powerful things that I've heard from one of our clients, and this happens to be um, a CEO, he said to me, a very analytical CEO, very metrics-focused CEO. And I said, tell me, like, what's the most different about now that you've been on this journey and kind of been doing this thing, this engagement thing, and really focusing on frequency as opposed to focusing on meeting a target? What's changed for you? How do you know? Like, how do you, what do you think about this? And he said something to me, and this was a couple years ago, that just has never left me. And he said, it feels different here. And sometimes that's like the best insight that we can get, the best indicator of are we making progress on engagement metrics? Are we making progress on this thing called engagement? Have we, in fact, created a culture of high attention where we're paying attention to each other for the best of each other? That's what drives engagement. Have we created that? Have we created the practices and the rituals inside of our organizations that people can count on to be paid attention to? And when he said, it just feels different here. So weirdly, sometimes, Alan, it's not a metric. Sometimes it's a feeling. And sometimes we try to over-quantify or even, I'm going to say, weirdly coming from me as an engineer, sometimes we try to like over-measure it. And when he said, it feels different here, that's pretty astounding to know that your organization, the vibe is different, the feel is different, the experience that employees are in fact having is different. And therefore, in this case, it happened to be healthcare, their patients were having different experiences as well. So I think we have to be a little bit careful in not to over-quantify. And also, we should still measure, don't get me wrong, but also don't be afraid to kind of lean into the emotional benefits that engagement brings us. And we know from our experience, again, with clients, this um, happens to be the same client, actually, where we looked at how employees are responding to disruption. And because we measure engagement really frequently, we're able to do that. We can see things happening in the world and what happens to an employee's engagement level. And we actually saw this particular organization almost in a weird kind of way, like thrive through a disruption. And it's not that they were going, you know, things were going, they, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. But the impact of disruption on the employee engagement level 
was relatively minimal. And I'm not saying that it wasn't hard. Of course it was. And it was difficult. And there were a lot of uncertainties in the organization. But they had created this environment, this expectation of really frequent attention from team leaders, this really quick, weekly, light-touch attention from team leaders. And when they maintain that through disruption, their engagement level uh, stayed relatively steady. And we've seen that through the pandemic as well with our clients. So I think we also have to be a little bit careful to not over-articulate on metrics, but also balance that with the experiences that we ourselves as leaders are having as well as our employees. You know, this leads me right into where I wanted to go next. You've already covered a lot of it about people leaders um, and the fact that that light touch, high attention focus is really crucial to not only growing your engagement, but also sustaining it, you know, because it's sort of like one of those this harvest isn't just for this year. We're, you know, saving against the rainy day, the the famine. Uh, so when organizations are working with managers, what can they do to encourage or support or accelerate the efforts of their people leaders to give their people the attention and support that they need to, to feel engaged in their work? Yeah, I, I always call this, these are next practices. I often refer to kind of the formula for next practices as this, which is simplify. We've over-engineered and over-complicated the world of team leaderiness, what it means to be a leader, how we've just made it really, really complicated. So we need to simplify, and that means answering some really difficult questions and making some different decisions on how we invest, not just money invest, but also time and the emotional energy of our leaders and employees. We need to measure the right things, not the right 100 things, but the critical few things in an organization that are going to give us insight into how employees are experiencing work. And of course, that's engagement, much more frequent. Um, It might be performance in a different way, in a highly simplified way. So we need to really think about what are the right things to measure, the critical few, and measure them really reliably. And then finally, we need to accelerate. And that acceleration happens, just as you just said, through really frequent attention from your most important people at work. And so that formula of simplify, measure, and accelerate is really the thing that I would say, yes, you focus on those now things that are happening, those those critical priorities, those fire drills. How do we get people back to work? But not at the expense of those more fundamental aspects of work that are going to make work a better place, because ultimately that's your differentiator for your organization. Technology is no longer a key differentiator. Process is no longer a key differentiator. I mean, we've cracked those nuts as as an industry. We've got ERP systems. Um, Technology is easily accessible by everyone, which means that our organizations really have one key sustainable differentiator left, and that's our employees. So to leave that that important piece out of our strategic initiatives, of our near-term priorities, as well as the future, um, that's, a, that's a big miss for organizations. And so the sooner that they can keep that front and center, especially us HR practitioners and HR leaders and our executive teams, the sooner that organization is going to be well-prepared for whatever happens to be coming around the corner. So what's next for practitioners? What should we all be thinking about as we look at how we're going to prioritize our work and how we're going to orchestrate the return to work and whatever's coming after that? What do you see when you do look into your crystal ball that you admitted you don't have? 
Well, I can make up a crystal ball really well. I think there are a couple of things that, at least some guidance, I'll say, some directional guidance that I talk to my clients about every single day, which is exactly what I just said, is yes, we need to focus on those near-term priorities. We need to. And we also have to create space for us as HR practitioners, stewards of our organization talent, as well as our executive teams, and quite frankly, our team leaders as well. We need to create space for them to be able to work on those things that are more proactive. And I'm not going to say forward-looking or future-looking. It's just being proactive. How do we ensure that the next time a disruption comes along, whether it be on a global basis or a market basis or coming from some local thing that's happening in our community or a community where some employees work but not others, how do we instill the practices and the rituals in the organization that are going to help our employees be able to navigate through that disruption and not only navigate through it, but come out the other side of that more resilient, more engaged, more connected to the organization. And the way that I've been talking about that, Alan, is that frequency is the new currency. Um, and it's frequent attention from your most important people at work. We need to instill those practices in the organization. And it's worth our time as practitioners to do the work to create those rituals inside of our organizations because we know from the data from real companies, real people doing real work in the real world right now, that when we do that, we see engagement levels increase by two and a half to three times. So it's not just something that sounds good. We see it really clearly in the data from real organizations. Well, Amy, that's all the time we have for this week, but I know I speak for everyone when I say I really enjoyed our conversation and I can't wait till next week when we talk about the importance of teams for engagement. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.